You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 268 for July 12th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about making this job work while raising children. So make sure you pay the babysitter because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Heather in Southern California. Hi, everyone. Bill in St. Croix. Hello. And Doug in Scotland. Hi, y'all. All right. So we, you guys don't know this, the ones that are listening to the show here, but we are actually recording about, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes late today. And Doug, I think you've got the reason for us, the, the topic of the day. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I'm late is because of children. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the topic of our um, episode today, children in archaeology. How do you do it? Or don't, as the case may be for some of us. Indeed. But I believe as Chris is the only childless person on the <laughs> podcast today, you have apparently some strong opinions you'd like to give us, us, us poor folk who, who have children in archaeology. Listen, I just want to know, we record this, for everybody that's listening here, we record this on a Sunday morning for most of the people on the show, except for Doug, where it's eight hours away from now. So it's like four something in the afternoon, almost five over in Scotland. And I just got to know, like, this is only an hour. It's an hour once every two weeks. It's it's 0.01% of your time for the entire two weeks. And yet... It seems like kids always take a factor in not just not just you, Doug, but anytime I'm dealing with like somebody else with children and I know they have a partner. I don't know what time of day it is. I don't know what their situation is, but it seems like they can't come up with a time when they don't have to personally deal with the kids. They're still doing it while they're on the show. And I'm like, can't you just like get some help? Like what's going on there? Oh, wow, Chris. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, not only that, Chris, but that is the help. If we don't raise words. it, who's going to take care of you when you're old? I know. I'm just saying. It's one hour. One hour. That's all I'm saying. That's your incipient help. Oh, man. I'm going to throw out some stats on this. Like, so, so, like, for like my public archaeology (laughs) stuff, like, I had to look this up for a while ago for a presentation and all this thing. Like, there's this huge thing. And, like, you know, so if you go to like your state archaeology society in the states or your, your local society, you know, your city one or, uh, I don't know. Pennsylvania has like a dozen like regional ones or something like that. Sure. And in the UK, there's there's hundreds of these ones, and and the age, the average age is probably like pushing seventy at a lot of these things. It's like a lot of older people. And I swear to God, every few years is a survey, and people are like, "Oh, the average age is like 68, 70. They're gonna die off. How are we gonna keep all these groups going?" And of course, you know, it's been twenty years of this. And the reason is because, you know, once you retire, you actually have time to have like passions and stuff like that. I actually looked up the stats and like the people, people who are retired have something like a ridiculous 30 hours per week of like leisure time. And then (laughs) the one group that has the least of like all the demographics are women with children and their leisure time is like half an hour. So, Chris, when you're asking, like, um, you know, why can't we just find an hour, man? Like, that's <laughs> double, double the leisure time that we, uh, people with. I, I should, I shouldn't say that because, like, fathers get not every father, and it's not, you know, uh, it depends on relationships. But usually, women take the brunt of childcare. So like, okay. yeah, they're the least. So like, maybe maybe a father might have like an hour and a half, but yeah, man. Like statistically, statistically, there is no time. Those are probably including the the time that we're in the bathroom. I think that's what they're putting as the male leisure time is just that, right? Because we go in there and lock the door and just <laughs> hide with our head in our you know on our knees and our, just with our face in our right. hands. Just I don't want right. to go back out there. I don't want to go. I mean, this is the silent weeping there, Bill. The silent weeping. Yeah. 
This show is only really possible because my wife did for many years when my kids were little occupy them, you know, find yeah. some kind of a way for them. And, and I, when I was in Arizona, I literally used to sit in a closet and record the podcast I know. and I could hear them knocking on the door, trying to find me. And I, I would just yeah. hide in there to find that hour. That's how you do it. Either you hide under the bed, you hide in the closet, you lock the door in the bathroom and hide. If you don't hide, you're only going to be on that 30 minute you know, mm-hmm. free time thing when they're little. Then when they get older, it's awesome because then you have tons of time because <laughs> they don't want to have anything to do with you. And now all the shit that you didn't do for like 14 years while they were little, you now have to do <laughs> every day. Otherwise, the whole ship's going to sink. Right, right. And, and Doug, you, I understand not really having a, a separate space to record in because you live in the UK. So you probably live in a 125 square foot, you know, studio apartment like everybody else does there, you know, unless you're rich. Oh, dude, I'm not like one direction or the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's massive. <laughs> you're, you're like American uh, versions of like space and, right. uh, and like rooms and stuff. What? My RV is probably bigger Triple than your apartment. Digit? <laughs> you know like like we kind of semi are joking here but honestly like how how many uh can you do square meters how, how many square meters is your your rv there chris uh let me do a conversion real quick let me do a conversion uh let's see okay. uh, 300, 500 square feet 600 square feet 30 about 32 square meters So my place is slightly bigger than yours, (laughs) (laughs) but there's a kid that runs all of those meters. There's no kids. That's right. Yeah. 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 So like, Chris, you practically have like 600 square meters there in terms of space. (laughs) It feels like you know it might be only 30, but it feels like 600 without children. (laughs) Not really, though. My wife is into knitting and crafting, so all of most of the square meters we have are taken up by yarn storage or in work projects. So, yeah. yeah, but yarn yeah. doesn't make any noise or move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yarn is not actively trying to kill other yarn. <laughs> we can stack yarn up to the moon and it still wouldn't be the same as a toddler. Okay, so let's 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 get into this. I, I think, Bill, you of, of all of us, especially on the podcast here, because you've had I mean, you've had little kids. At least you did very back yeah. in the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. And you were doing field work and you were, you know, you were going to school at various points and you had kids and, you know, you have a wife and, and you had field work and you're working CRM. And I mean, how did you even like get close to making it work besides staying in a closet? You know, that, yeah, well, you know, hiding in a closet crying was one piece, except for when I was recording <laughs> the podcast. That was, you know, that, right. that was one way that I managed it. But, you know, aftercare was like a critical piece. And then I was fortunate that my wife had a job where she could like drop kids off and I could pick up or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So when I was still doing CRM and my son was little, you know, if I was in town, then I could drop my son off at aftercare or preschool, actually, when he, before he was in school, preschool, right? So I could take him to preschool and then my wife could get him afterwards and we had to pay the, I mean, I don't think the folks really understand, but it's like more than a mortgage to pay for preschool for two kids. No. And so and it doesn't matter where you live, man. Yeah, if it's cheap definitely. somewhere, then that means that you're just still paying less money than someone like San Francisco, but either which way, it's pretty much the equivalent of a mortgage. And so we had to pay the extra because of course, somehow aftercare is like, you can show up in the morning with seconds to go before you go to your job, drop your kid off, race to your job and then start working. And then you need to like, you know, just basically appear exactly at five or you have to pay this extra time thing for like an hour or two. A lot of them have this kind of tiered paying. So then you're paying the extra time because you can't commute or get to your kids. So that's definitely how we survived when my son was little. But then when I had two kids, I was in my PhD program. So I could drop them both off at uh, preschool, go to campus and work, and then go and get them before that extra time thing. And then, of course, when my son was mm-hmm. in, in elementary school, then he just went to aftercare. That's oh. aftercare is, is more affordable than um, preschool by you know a large margin. And so, uh, as your kids get older, you actually spend less money on preschool because they only need aftercare because school basically takes up the other half of it. And so the only way we were able to make it work is that my wife could be flexible and do that when I was in the field, right? So when I'm in the middle of nowhere, she has to do all of that. She has to take them in and she has to pick them up. And so for, you know, until the pandemic, till we could work from home, that's just what we did. Mm -hmm. 11 years, you know, 11 years of that. 
So Bill, as, as somebody with no kids, I mean, obviously I've heard of daycare, but I don't think I've ever even heard of aftercare. Is that like a Tucson thing or is that all over the place or just the term for a place you'd send your kids after school? Preschool is huge because, and I, and I actually feel like you should spend as much as you think is functional on preschool. It's actually worth more than college. In fact, don't even save mm-hmm. for college as long as you can send them to a good preschool. Cause at a good preschool, they'll get to learn, you know, they'll be way ahead of other kids when they get to uh, kindergarten. And so like, you know, I feel like the money is best spent when they're really little. Of course, that's when you have the least amount of money. So that's, that's pretty rough. You know, preschool's like all day, uh, or daycare, right? So you want to send them to a preschool slash daycare. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll keep them from anywhere from like 8 a.m. or 8.30, unless you pay extra money to drop them off early. And then you can come and get them and you need to be there by like six or seven or something like that, or they start charging you. And if you do it too many times, then they'll just kick your kid out. And it is really, really crazy hard to get your kid into preschool. Crazy hard. Okay. Aftercare is a cool thing that's run by usually your school district or your city parks or something like that. And so that's associated with your school. So when the kid finishes, they just kind of go with aftercare kids and finish their homework and then they get to play and hang out until you can come and get them. But of course, you know, like you drop your kid off at school and then they just stay there for two to three hours after school. And it is way cheaper because it's pretty much subsidized by the school, but it is even harder than preschool to get into. I mean, when we got to California, the day that so if aftercare opens on April something in the morning when the -hmm. the city parks thing opens at like 9 a.m., you need to be there around seven o'clock because you need to be there with a full check to pay for all the aftercare. Because seriously, if you're not. If you don't understand how it works, man, your kid is not getting an aftercare. So the day it opens, wow. you need to take that day off for that entire morning and be in that line and sit there and wait to get your kid in because it's just such a high demand. I mean, it's ridiculously competitive. I'm, I'm not even talking about like, you know, education wise. I'm talking about finding a place that's safe where they don't just watch TV all day to put your kid while you go to work. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's that's crazy. I mean, I knew a lot of the resources related to children. I mean, like daycare, preschool, I mean, good schools, things like that was always competitive. But yeah, I'd never even heard of aftercare, but that totally makes sense. We just went to, you know, the boys club, <laughs> boys and girls club. Yeah. We just like, well, let yeah, us yeah, go there yeah. and do whatever we want. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So my that was what my sister had when she was in middle school and, and uh, mm-hmm. she lived with us in Seattle. She went to the boys and girls club and that was only like 50 or $60 a month or something like that. This was like, yeah. 2008 or something like that. I think when I had kids in preschool, when they're babies, it's even more expensive. But I think when I had kids in preschool, they were both going to the same preschool before my son went to school. And we were living in Tucson. And I think my mortgage was like $900 a month. And I think I was spending like $1,200 a month on preschool. And then when we moved to California, my son was in aftercare. And uh, my daughter was still in preschool for one year. And I think we were paying like, I don't even remember, man, like $2,400, a month. Hmm. for that. Wow. Wow. And you got to pay for the aftercare in either two lump installments, just the way it works in my area, or, Mm -hmm. you know, pay it all at once. And we would always pay it all at once just to make sure that we didn't get slammed later on. So then we have time to save up to pay for the other kids preschool, which was like $1,100 a month or something like that for yeah one month. And and I had to be there by six o'clock on the dot, or I got $50 every like 10 minutes (laughs) <laughs> that I was late and I took the subway. So, you know, when you're riding on the subway, if it's late, they just start racking on the fees yeah. and there's nothing you can do. They're like calling you instantly, like compulsively calling you. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Just to know you're getting $50 just to know. And it's just the worst thing in the world. So you got to really leave er- work in the Bay Area. You got to leave like an hour and a half, two hours early to make sure that you're there because you can't tell what's going to happen on these roads. Mm-hmm. So that's why one person's got to go in early and the other person's got to drop them off. And then the other person leaves early. And then my wife would like work and she wouldn't get home till like seven because it's an hour and a half or so on our commute. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And that's when that's when everyone's in town and working together. Man, well, you're I don't even have kids, but you're wearing me out. Just tell her the story. So let's take a break and then we'll come back and <laughs> come back on the other side and see what the other guys think about this back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 268. And we're talking about raising children in the field. Well, raising children while being an archaeologist, I guess, not necessarily in the field, but maybe sometimes in the field. We just heard Bill talking about I mean, how much of a struggle it was. And that was with a two parent household. I mean, you just got to have massive coordination. But what if you're a, a single parent and you're trying to raise kids and do archaeology and, and, and have a career? Heather, you've got some really detailed experience <laughs> with that. How'd you do it? <laughs> yeah, I sure do. Well, so when I started, my, my kids were, let's see, um, six and nine when I started in CRM. So it's a little different. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't have the daycare thing, but I will say that when I, you know, I did have my kids were smaller. And as far as everything that Bill is saying, and I'm not going to reiterate it, is correct. Mm-hmm. I went a little different route. I decided that with my other career or what I did to make money before I went into CRM, I focused on, I said, I was going to not do a regular daytime job until my kids were in school, meaning kindergarten. But I did a lot of, I did preschool. So I did work a little bit during the day, but it wasn't like I had to be here at this time until this time. So I did something called a cooperative preschool, which allowed me to work three days a week and then two days. So Hmm. the parents are part of the preschool. So you put in two days with the preschool and you have really good, I mean, sometimes this, uh, a lot of times these are offered with like adult schools or, or rec department, parks and rec departments in a city. And they're actually excellent because they're run by people who are child development experts with masters or PhDs in child development have been doing this for many, many years. And the concept behind it is that they teach parents how to parent better while also being a preschool. And it's a full-time preschool the kids go three times, well, I didn't say full time, like from eight until about one thirty, And okay. you put in two days, then that gives you three days to have that period of time where you can work. And so that's what I did. Plus, I would work at night mm. when my then husband would come home. And basically, I didn't start working until they went to sleep, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So it was tough. You know, it, it's tough and set me up for never having a good night's sleep. But Uh, which is carried through the rest of my life. So when I ended up going into CRM and my kids were six and nine, actually even a little bit earlier than that, I think it Mm -hmm. was four, four. And when I really, really began, it was about four and seven. Yeah. I had a very, very good friend that would care for my children. I was also going to school at the same time and was a full time. I was working full time and I was in graduate school. So it was tough, but I did have some great teachers. And I also had very well-behaved children. And I scheduled everything. My whole life was my children, school, and work. There was no extracurricular of anything, no going out with friends. That was my focus. And I understood that. And it was, you know, it, it was taxing. But I'll tell you one thing. It bonded my children and I together. Now, you know, there could have been a myriad of different ways that this could have gone. But I think the bind that my children or the closeness that I have with my children is because we were a team together. This hmm. this was not something that mom was doing alone. They understood that this was something we were doing together so we could have a better life. And it wasn't like this mantra that I said all the time, like we just understood it. And I was very fortunate to have some wonderful professors. I didn't take advantage of it. There were some classes Mm -hmm. it wasn't appropriate to bring them, but there were sometimes like if I was working in the lab and doing lab work, my professors, I even had some of them were like, hey, I've got some great movies and they would put it on the big screen and (laughs) or my kids would actually sort with me. My kids got very good at sorting, you know, <laughs> distinguishing uh, fishbone from the rest. I mean, it, was, it and it was a team effort. And I really do think that in the long run, it, it helped our relationship. 
But it was tough. And I think I couldn't have done it without supportive professors and without the help of a best friend at the time who we had children around the same age. I helped her whenever I could and she helped me whenever she could. And that was the only Mm -hmm. way I was able to do it. Wow, that's crazy. And so that was when you were in school and, you know, school and working both school and working. I mean, how do you do like out of town field work and stuff like that? Well, I got very lucky. I was on and well, I shouldn't say I got very lucky. I worked towards working for a company where I could get a, a local job. And I ended up on a super fun cleanup site project that was probably one of the coolest projects I'll ever be on in my entire life, which was Mm -hmm. my, you know, one of the first ones I did. And that was a long term. I worked on that project for four and a half years. And so that just, that didn't happen by accident though, either. You know, I pursued something like that. I knew that the only way to do this was if I could have a local, local type job that would sustain me through that period of going to school. Mm -hmm. You know, I did travel a little bit, but the only time I would travel so that I could either do a trade-off with my employers where you've been great to me here, I'm going to like, I'll give you some times, periods of time that I'm able to go wherever you want to send me. So it was kind of a deal that we made. And so when my ex-husband at that point would have the kids for two weeks during the summer, I would say, okay, I've got or two weeks here or one week there. I said, I have these two weeks, wherever you need me, I can go. And then that's when I would travel was when I had those periods of time where he would have them for a straight shot. It takes a lot of planning. I, I think you hit the nail on the head though. I mean, that's kind of the way you do a CRM career is you you create it yourself. So many times we see people in, you know, in like social media groups and things like that saying, oh, you know, I, I can't find a job doing this exact one tiny little thing, but you've got to be flexible and and find yeah. find the things that match exactly what you want to do because they are out there. You might have to be right. extremely flexible for it, but those things are out there and you don't just necessarily take what's coming to you. I mean, find the things that fit your lifestyle and what you what you need and want to do. It doesn't right. always work out that way. You had a pretty good circumstance there, but you can craft your own luck. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to have a dialogue. And I know that's scary, especially yeah. if you're newer in your career. It's scary, but it's actually an opportunity for you to get to know your employer. And I say this to my kids all the time, just in general, when it comes to teachers, I say, I know it's scary to go over to a teacher, a professor or high school teacher and say, I need help. Like I'm buried. I don't understand this. And you think, oh, they're going to judge me or whatever. And I said, you know, most people, most people want to help others. And when you go to them and you say, I need help, and you're just asking for you said, listen, these are my situations. I'm not asking for anything extra special. I'm going to work, but I just want to say, this is where I'm at. Is there something that we can do here? And the employer, any employer, most people are going to want to help you. And in fact, it's an opportunity for you to build a relationship with your employer or your professors. And they have buy-in now. Like they are invested in you, just yeah. like you are invested in your in your career. And so you know, you can't, no one can make this life a success alone, right? We're not on an island. We need help from each other. You just have to swallow the pride and ask for it, but also yeah. don't expect it. You can't, you can't go in there like <laughs> this attitude of you're going to give it to me, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's also a good way to sort of figure out who you want to work for. Now yeah. I do realize mm-hmm. that like, you know, uh, certain more rural locations, you may only have one archaeology employer and that's it. But usually, like in most most larger cities, most states, most places, you're going to have a couple of choices. And this is a good opportunity to find out who you actually want to work for. And it goes both ways. So like one, a lot of employers will have had children too, so they'll understand. But two, it's it's you know how flexible are they willing to be, or how much are they willing to work with with people to get the best out of them, and you know that's getting the best out of you if you have children and trying to work around a tough schedule like that. So it is a good opportunity, as Heather said. You know, don't expect it, but it is a good indication of of a good employer if they are willing to work with you around issues like that and. 
as Heather was saying, you have to ask, make that ask. And especially it's, it'll be intimidating when you're maybe like, this is your first job and you're afraid of losing that job and that experience. But I would say it's better to get that out of the way earlier than suffering and waiting for years only to find out that you actually really don't want to be working for that employer anyways. Indeed. Now, Doug, you had a comment on sleep earlier too, talking about working at night and and that kind of schedule. Yeah. (laughs) Revenge work. So like, yeah, no, it's it's this thing. So like with small children, like you, you really, when, when they're home, yeah, maybe you can answer a quick email here with auto correct or auto auto suggestion where you just type away and hit okay. And like, there's, there's little bits and pieces you, you could do here, but you can't actually do much with children around, um, young children. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it gets better, but from, from the sounds of it, from Bill, it I have does to wait get like better. At least another decade or so. No, no, it gets um, it gets better. How old is your daughter? Three and a half. Yeah, you only have like two. Oldest. You only have like two more years. You're good. You'll make yeah. it. But but like when they're younger, you you just can't do work, and then getting them to bed is a is a chore. I'm basically. You're tired, you're exhausted, yeah. but it is the only time you have alone uh, without like children mm-hmm. and stuff. So you, you end up doing work when you should be going to sleep because it's like it's your only time to have some solitude, it's the only time to get stuff da- done. Uh, my wife and, and I have talked about it, and it was actually one of our friends who. So she she's a former archaeologist who also talked about it and basically coined that term like revenge working. It's like late at night and you really you should be asleep because like you know your kids are going to be up like three times during the night. You're not going to get solid hours. Yeah, but you you just work because like <laughs> yes, it's freedom. Yeah. My son was a horrible sleeper, but I lived in Arizona, so a lot of times we had to leave for work at four a.m. or maybe even early to to get there when the sun comes up. So when he was really little, I'd wake up at like 3.45 or 4 and then hang out with him for an hour or two till he was ready to go to sleep. And then, yeah. you know, I'd put him back in with my wife and then I'd get ready to go to work and then I'd work and like come and get him from aftercare. And uh, it was really tough when I was like in Tucson and not out in the field because then I'd get home at like five o'clock and I'd be totally drained and exhausted. And as soon as my wife would come home, I would just go to sleep basically eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'd pass out and then I'd do it again. I'd wake up and that time from like five to probably seven or eight in the morning. If, if I was in town was the time that I could actually write. And I also started taking naps in them at like people laugh at me, man. But at lunch, I would just eat my food and then sleep. And I also, when we were in Arizona and it was super hot, I would just, you know, save up all the breaks for the whole day. And then we would just work, you know, if we were doing a 10 hour day, we'd work like till we only had a couple hours left in the day and then use like your lunch and all your breaks at once. So you get an hour and then sit in the air conditioned Jeep or whatever. And I'd sleep for 20 or 30 minutes just so that I could survive and, you know, drive the Jeep to get back home. And now my son is 13, my daughter's 10, and I still wake up at four, 445. Like even when I go to sleep at like 11 (laughs) o'clock, I'll still wake up at four or five in the morning and then maybe I can go back to sleep or I'll just sleep in the middle of the day too. I still, the naps, like I just don't stop. I just keep doing a nap. I wish I could nap. I'm a, I I just, it's just not something my body allows me to do. I just pass out just like an old granddad. (laughs) I have somebody on my team who has a, a seven month old and, you know, she's been on our team for two, five, six years, we have a program. Basically, she just, you know, the, there was a point where she was actually moving to another area. And my boss at the time was like, okay, well, we'll just say goodbye. And I knew she was so valuable. And and plus, she's become a friend over the time. I said, you know, we need to bend over backwards here to make this work. I think she can still work from us. And so we started already on that path of making things work even before she had children and it worked out well. And she was working remote even, you know, before COVID it was, you know, an employer having flexibility with a very valuable employee. So that's one thing to think about is that this isn't just, you know, in this day and age, I think a lot of times there's a lot of talk about what employers are doing for employees, but it is important that you establish yourself as a valuable employee. And sometimes 
you don't know the employer and that's just, it's going to be difficult because they don't know you. But the one thing, bit of advice I would give is that you just, you need to be a valuable employee where you're bringing value. You're not just showing up and doing the work. You're a valuable employee. So that was what this one individual was. I'm not going to mention her name just uh, for her Mm -hmm. sake, but then she had a child and, you know, we, we were just because we're, we're a very close team. We're all excited and we are invested in making this work. And she's like, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. I think at first she said, like any new mom, I can do this, you know, I'll just put them down to naps and, you know, during the day I'll, they can play and they'll be fine and I can work. And, <laughs> And those of us with children were like, yeah, that's probably not going to work. But she had to learn it on her own. So now what happens is we have a list of tasks that need to happen. And we just shoot that into our Zoom channel. And we have this is what needs to happen. And we also have set her up in a in a role, which she had already kind of been in, but she's in it even more now, where she's the manager. She's the disseminator of tasks to the rest of the team. She's also, you know, scheduled. She keeps up our schedule. She does all of these tasks that everybody, you know, when you were working eight hours, you think you have plenty of time, right? But you're going from task to task to task and keeping up the organization to make sure that it, that the workflow is as efficient as possible is difficult difficult to do. And so she, that's her role. So, and that's a perfect job to do when you have five minutes here and five minutes there. And so during the day, she works when she can, when we call him BB is, um, is a, allows her to work basically. And then she does a lot of work because she naps with him. So when he's napping, she's napping. And she does a lot of work late at night. And so as an employer, I would say the advice, if you supervise people and you have, it's not, a you don't have to shut that down. You just have to be creative and figure out what would be the best role for, for this one individual. And she does, we could not survive as a team without her. Our workflow would not be as uh, effective and successful as it is without her. And so we just have a list of tasks and she jumps on them when she's able to work. So it's not the typical eight hours. And she actually doesn't get a full eight hours in. She gets in what she can. And so her Mm. hours fluctuate. And that's the other thing is that we're working. You have to talk to HR and say, what can we do? I mean, these aren't hard and fast where she's still considered a full-time employee. She's she's working part-time hours right now. But we were able to kind of stretch out this concept of her maternity leave in a creative way and working with HR and it works. And she's seven months down the road and she's still working with that strategy and it works for for everyone. So it can be done. You just have to be creative. Yeah, man. Like you're never more cocky than before you have children about being able yeah. to do work <laughs> with children. Like, like when you described like her thing, basically we had that same thing about like, yeah, you know, we'll be able to do this and that. And, you know, when the kid naps, I'll be able to do work. And yeah, like, man, it's like that saying, like, you know, no, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, like every single person. So if you, if you don't have children, and you're listening to this podcast, you may have some dreams about like, if you plan to have children that you, you might be able to like, have a minimal impact upon your working life and you won't have to get as creative as Heather just described. And that never works out. It's like you, you have dreams and they are destroyed almost instantly, Uh, but it is possible as Heather described, like you have to get more creative. Think when you're going to have kids, you have to be a way more creative than just this idea of like, Oh yeah, there'll be a little, some naps or I can just put them in the corner with a, a, a ball or something and that, that'll entertain them for like six hours. That's not possible. Okay. Well, we are going to wrap up this segment on the other side and, you know, just hopefully have some words of encouragement for everybody who's going through this and, and trying to raise children while being an archaeologist and building a career back in a minute. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 268. So we've heard some good experiences and some advice along the way, but do we want to, unless you guys have anything else you want to really get mm-hmm. out there, uh, I want to really push on this segment, at least by the end of it, some, you know, 
maybe best practices that you've just learned along the way, keeping in mind that everybody's situation is different. So these would be best practices yeah. that work for you guys. You know what, what really, you know, helped you get through and then people have to pick and choose what works best for themselves. And then, you know, maybe share this episode just as a conversation starter on your socials and, and say what you did and see what other people did. You might find that there's a surprising number of people going through the same thing you are and yeah. you know, they might have some good helpful tips. Yeah. So I don't know who wants to go first, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in hearing this because I have nothing. I can go first. <laughs> I, I can go first. I mean, the best thing about having kids is they bring you back into the present of like what really is happening and what really matters. Right. Yes. And even though it seems like mm-hmm. they're, you know, things like, you know, you put butter on the wrong side of the bread or something else. They're, they're growing and they're trying to learn how to handle their emotions through experience with all different kinds of stuff, happiness and disappointment and stuff. But your kids bring you back to the moment and give you something to think about besides your stupid career. Your yes. stupid job mm-hmm. will drink all of your life. Amen. It will take everything and more of you. It'll suck your whole soul down if all you do is spend all your time thinking about money, what other promotions, mm-hmm. what other little gadgets and junk you can get in houses. But the only reason to even have all that stuff is because you're a human being. And kids help you remember that. They help you remember why we're even doing this, why there are people, why we call us ourselves, you know, sapient. And then it's also great to see them grow, right? Like it's it's just really cool to watch them grow over time and figure so many things out. And, you know, even folks who spend a moderate amount of time with their kids will share a lot of important memories and events with them and give them experiences. And then when you do them, I mean, same things that you used to do when you're a kid and you do them with your kids, it changes the whole meaning, right? And it makes you feel something completely different that you didn't feel before. And it it does give you kind of an insight into what your parents were thinking when they took you on that adventure or they provided that opportunity, right? So so I just say that, folks, it's absolutely worth it. If you're going to be a parent, don't worry about what, you know, how you're going to figure it out. Don't worry about, you know, what's going to happen with archaeology and how you're going to do all this other stuff because there's pathways for it to happen. And also there's the reality that if it doesn't happen, you still have your kid and you still have your family. And that's what actually really matters. Amen. (laughs) I would say (sighs) everything that Bill just said. So I'm not going to reiterate. I I completely agree. You know, having children isn't for everyone. So I would say, I would encourage those who are employers or managers, if you don't have children, that you talk to friends that do, so that you do have a perspective and you can have some compassion. Because I do see that there's, you know, there are, I've seen a lot where there's supervisors and, and employers that haven't had children that just don't have the compassion for their staff that do. And, you know, somehow you have to have some kind of understanding, I think, just, talking to friends that do have children and trying to get that perspective is, is good. But I think that don't be discouraged. You can have children. Again, I was a single mom. I worked full time and I was in graduate school and I did it. But the only way I did it was with the help of good friends and uh, compassionate professors and a great employer. And so, you know, if you don't have that, then this is just like Doug said, an opportunity for you to find that. And, you know, that's what life is. Life is, you know, throws situations at you that can either, if you allow it, can, you know, take you down the road of negativity and, and uh, disappointment and, or it's an opportunity for you for, for change and to make your life better. And so it is possible you just have to find the right partners to make it possible. Okay. I'd, I'd also like to build on that a bit to that suggestion that Heather made about supervisors who are understanding. I have worked in CRM and, you know, academia with a bunch of absolutely horrible people who have kids who are sacrificing that time with that child and with their family so that they can do their job. And uh, you can't fix someone who is damaged so badly that they won't pay attention to what's really going on in their life and are Mm -hmm. sacrificing everything, right? And so there's going to be supervisors who have no idea what it's like to be a parent. There's supervisors who have kids who are horrible parents and just treat their employees really horribly because they feel like whatever this stupid CRM project or this archaeology site or this book or whatever ignorant class they're teaching is the sum of their whole life. There's no way you can avoid those folks in archaeology. Sadly, there just is a lot of people. There's a lot of people who 
thought that they just had to basically forget about being a parent and forget about having a child just so that they could pursue this career. So, it, you know, you're going to encounter them. I don't know what to say about that stuff. It's up to you how you deal with them. In my experience, I just, you know, look at them as like, that's a sad example of what I never want to be in life. Mm-hmm. Someone who has a kid who has spent all their time writing these books or being a professor or serving on committees that do nothing. I mean, that's what I don't want to do with my life. Man, uh, to follow up with Bill, there's no guarantee that if someone has had children that they will be a understanding boss. In fact, True. probably some of the worst people you will ever meet. And this is not just for like parents, but this is like across all groups, like people with disabilities. The worst people tend to sometimes be the people who did it and got out. And they're just like completely oblivious to how hard it is and then have somewhat of a chip or a, a bit of a snide like, well, I did it. Why can't you? And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, your partner stayed home with the children and did it. <laughs> like that's the, you made enough money so that you could have a single income household and you had a, you, you essentially had a 24 hour um, childcare there with your partner. But like those people will be completely oblivious. So I, I don't think there's like, I mean, I I have a boss who they chose not to have children and uh, he's pretty good when I'm like, hey man, it's uh, it's 10 o'clock. I'm going to miss most of today because I need to go pick up my child from the nursery because they're, they're puking everywhere. Um, Sorry. And they'll be like, yeah, nah, no worries about it. And they don't have children. He doesn't have children. So um, yeah, like I'd say people who do have children will be more likely to be um, considerate, but also some of the worst people you're ever going to meet are the ones who had children and think it's an easy thing to do because of their circumstances and you should just suck it up and get a full-time nanny like they did. Oh um, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I, I've met those people, but it, like it, yeah. it, it goes across all sorts of groups, <laughs> um, you know, anything like people will be like, you run into like sort of like the disability environment in archaeology or any disability environment like the people who are disabled but have got by will have a huge chip on their Mm -hmm. shoulder about like oh i did it why can't you right so it it covers a lot of different things again i don't want to sound like that person who's saying i did it you could do it too i just want to give and i don't think that that's what you're saying but you know i want to give encouragement it can be done but i think there's two things that you have to do in order to make this happen from an employee standpoint. Number one, you have to be intentional. You have to know what your deal breakers are. And, and those things are going to change. You have to reevaluate it because those of us that are parents know that just, you know, I think that's been a thread throughout this entire conversation is that things don't go the way you think they're going to go. They always switch up. So I think that you have to be intentional and you have to do reevaluations over you know, your parenting periods, but you have to say, these are things that are deal breakers for me. I must do this with my child. I am going to do this with these. I am going to spend a considerable, like I'm not going to allow my work to get in the way of being a good parent, period. But what does that mean? And you have to write that down and say, this is what it means for me right now and be intentional about it. And then the second thing is honesty. So you have those times where you go to your employer and say, listen, I'm stuck. I don't know, you know, my, whoever, my friend didn't show up and I can't, my kids have not been picked up yet. Or, or I went to drop them off at daycare and something happened, the the plumbing blew and they had to close the daycare or whatever. Those things happen. And so as long as you're honest, we all know there's people that use children as an excuse to not be responsible employees that doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen and employers should not assume. But as an employer or employee, you have to be honest. Do not use your children as an excuse to get away with other things so that when you really are giving a reason why something can't happen, that it's honest and it's true. So, and that's when your employer is going to, or they should, a good person should understand and work with you. But if you're always using your children as an excuse, you know, that gets old after a time. So I would say the two things are being intentional as a parent, a working parent, and being honest. Okay. That's really good. Any other advice or, or things? You should do? Go ahead, Doug. Well, sort of a, a off tangent, but related is like, 
uh, one thing you sort of find, like, weirdly after having a toddler, as Bill was saying earlier, where, like, they're learning to manage their emotions and, like, you know, that's a difficult time and stuff. But, like, it, it also helps you a lot in your work when you realize how many people out there are emotionally stunted. And you're just like, oh, man, oh, I get it now. And you're like, well, yeah, they, they have the, uh, the the emotional capacity of a toddler. And that's the way they act, the way they do. And it, it helps you walk away from toxic people in the field when you're able to sort of get that that view of like, oh, no matter what they do, they're never going to be able to control their uh, their emotions. Because, you know, they're like 30, 40, 50, or 60, and it hasn't happened yet. It's probably not going to happen. But yeah, having children can put uh, a lot of work in perspective and help you be able to deal with difficult people, mainly because every day is like living with a mini terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, like, I, like it's describing like if you were to describe like a toddler, yeah. it's like describing the Joker from Batman. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> sometimes they're just gonna go in there. And they're gonna be like, "I choose violence. Today is violence. I love you, Dada. Violence. I love you, Dada. Violence." And, and like, <laughs> oh, you guys laugh because you know that. Awesome. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It. it is. They even have face paint, too, just like the Joker. <laughs> and they don't want you to wash it off either. No, never. Yeah, the the other thing I would say is, you know, it gives you something to think about outside of work because your work has to stop when you go home because you can't work anymore because you have a family and everything, right? Yes. So if you have a partner, you can just sit there and grind all day, all night. Yes. You never have to stop. But when you have kids, they, they kind of make you stop. And also, a lot of the, like, stuff that I used to not like about work, like team building or the constant chilling or people always wanting to hang out and stuff. Well, now I don't have to do any of that because I have my kid and I never <laughs> have to do any of that extracurricular friendship, anything anymore. And it's, it's great because then you're with other parents who have other jobs and other things to do instead of always having drinks with the crew and then always having this and always hanging out and always going to their barbecue. It's great. Unless they have kids, then, then sometimes you're roped into that. <laughs> I'll just, I'll say that, you know, preparing for being a working parent, if you have the ability to do it, if you know you're young, you know you want children, you need to start making those plans now. Start trying to find an employer that you know is going to work with you. Like we should all be trying to, you know, working for or looking for employers. I, I know it can be scary, but when you're working for someone and you know that that person is not workable, that person is not reasonable, understand that it's not going to get any better. It, it will likely get worse. So if you're in that situation and you have an employer that is not reasonable and you intend to have children, it's probably now is the best time to start moving forward. Because I know we say, yeah. you know, I'm looking for somebody else. I know that we say, you know, well, just, you know, we're saying uh, find, find a better employer. But when you are, let's say a single mom and you have to bring in money, you can't just go and quit your job and find someone else. I mean, you don't even know where that someone else is. So I think doing that ahead of time, being intentional with making sure that you're setting yourself up, if you have the, the luxury of doing that, I highly suggest that. And then the other thing is, is that I do want to encourage anyone who is, you know, members, please, if you have any questions, I'm open, just tag me. I'm happy to help. I love, you know, uh, helping others through, being a working mom, even whether you're in a marriage or you're out or a working parent, I should say, working dad also. So I'm here for you. Please reach out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, with those words of encouragement, I think, because, you know, you guys have all been through it and you guys have done it. So it's proof that it can be done, I suppose. It's not for everybody. You know, but you got to you got to plan it out and, and, and make sure it works. But anyway, I don't have anything else to say on this because I have no kids and, and it's not looking good for the future. So that's. You know. there, <laughs> Do you have any more comments as a as a uh, as a as a non child person or, or wait, what's, what's an, oh, oh, wait, hold on. we're supposed to be using this from the, uh, the dictionary thing like. A person afflicted without uh, without children, I think, is what we're supposed to call you. Right, right. Yeah, you got to be PC. A person afflicted with uh, free time. 
I will say the only reason we record this so early in the morning on a Sunday is because of you, Doug. So I think we're going to move this back to, say, Tuesdays <laughs> at 4 p.m. Pacific so you can revenge record at 1 a.m. That's uh, what I'm thinking. We won't hear the kids. They'll be asleep. <laughs> we'll have to whisper then so that no one wakes up like, OK, I don't have anything to say this week at all. I don't want anyone to hear me. <laughs> Nice. Unless you All clean right. out the closet, right. Doug. I'm telling you, clean out the closet. It's a comfortable place to record. <laughs> oh, man. They don't call them closets here. They call them cupboards. Okay. Well, That's cupboard. True. That's true. Cupboard, closet, cupboard. podcast room. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, with that, thanks a lot. Comment, share, and we'll see you guys next time. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at archpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Doug, you gave a normal goodbye last time. I was a little disappointed for Andrew. Like, he said it, and you're just like, goodbye. I, I almost had to put something else in. Uh, we need his daughter to say, yes, exactly, yeah. We need, we need another co-host to help with the bye-bye. Uh-huh. All right. Well, for once, his kid's not sitting by the microphone making noise. I know. Like, where Where are they? Doug, pre-plan. Like. <laughs> Didn't we just record a whole segment on plan ahead? If you have a kid, plan ahead. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, oh, I couldn't find the, I couldn't find the child. Is. I couldn't find the child. Oh, that's all right. Okay. They better the be tub, there when you retire. So like, oh, yeah, she's, she's in, in the, the tub. No, the tub. In the cupboard. In the tub. Gotcha. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.